0: Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. What a wonderful thing to be declaring that this is a move, a move of God. You know, you might think that uh, you need something desperate to happen in your life. The Spirit... That the creation of the world moved over things that were formless and void. And maybe there's things in your world that are formless and void at the moment. The Spirit of God is moving over that. He's shifting your perspective on it. He's giving you a heavenly perspective on maybe the circumstances that are kind of weighing you down. Because uh, the reality is, That uh, just as much as we interact with the the earthly realm, there is a spiritual realm at work in our lives. And when we pray, when we praise, when we worship, when we make declarations, things happen in the heavenly realm. Demonic forces are, uh, are bound up. They are inhibited in their ability to affect you the way that they have been designed to. So when you pray, when you praise, when you worship, when you raise your hands, when you make declarations like there is a move of God happening over your life, there's something happening in the supernatural realm. And it's exciting to be a part of it. And sometimes we just feel like we're kind of plowing away and it's a hard grind. And often it is, but there are things that are happening. And that's why... When we enter into places and moments like this, it's a transcendent experience. We're experiencing God moving over our heart, over our life, over our thoughts, over our perspective, over our physical body, over our financial world, over our relational motivations, over the things, the insecurities and the intimidations that come against us. There's a move of God pushing those things aside so, Father, right now, I just thank you, Lord, that in this place this morning, we would be so aware of how you are moving over our life and over our world. So personally, so privately, and yet so powerfully, God. We give you full and free reign in this day. Move over us afresh, God.
1: Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. you, make Thank the darkness Jesus, Jesus, the silence for you.
0: Pray you would seal in our hearts what you want us to hear from you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap offering this morning. We take our seats. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, worship team, always taking us new places and new experiences in the things of God. It's wonderful. New places, new experiences. Deb and I have our three grandchildren, granddaughters with us for uh, nearly three weeks. I think there's a reason why you have kids when you're younger rather than older. And we're only 20% of the way into the experience, but it's going to be good. It is good. Is that me or are we good? Um, But it's a great privilege our... Son and daughter-in-law were gifted a, a holiday overseas uh, as a celebration for um, beating cancer, which is always a good celebration to have. So um, thank you for uh, for praying for Sasha over the last 18 months or so, as I know many of you have been, and uh, to get the all clear and, um, you know... A, very positive prognosis, is really exciting, so we've got uh, Sailor and Oak and Grace and um, Clay with us for uh, till uh, Sunday, not next Sunday, the following Sunday, so uh, that's a long time, isn't it? (laughs) I have a whole new rekindled respect for parents and and what you go through, just getting to church and all that sort of stuff. Which, but it's always worth it, right? I seem to be really echoey up here. Is that, my, is that me? Okay. Okay. All right. Wonderful. So, here we are, the last week of winter. That went quick, didn't it? Did it go quick? Did it feel like we had a really bad winter this year or not? I don't know. It's, um, last weekend, we were in uh, Adelaide. It was a great weekend, we were at C3 Adelaide Hills and we had the, uh, the privilege of praying for they're about to launch a satellite s- service into uh, Parkside, which is an s- uh, area of uh, Adelaide. Anybody know Adelaide? Anybody from Adelaide here? Yeah. Ah, awesome. And uh, so they're about to plant a church there, uh, which is exactly what we did with Queenbin uh, 18 months ago. But uh, it's um, so Michael, is it to you or is it a distant, dim, dim memory or is it something that you actually are looking for the opportunity to share and engage other people with? He is a story to be told. He's not a secret to be kept. And you're, you've got a story to tell about your relationship with him and, uh, and what happened to you. And I I like what Paul Scanlon says. He made this statement. We've got to be in other people's shoes, not in their faces. And so we walk together with people and we look for them, wait for the opportunity to come to tell our story and the the goodness of God in that. So God is not a secret to be kept. He's a story to be told. He's also a friendship to be enjoyed. You know, I think one of the things that people are missing uh, uh, that seems to be a rare commodity these days is a friendship is a, a true friendship. And so we have uh, the privilege of the ultimate friendship with Jesus. And th- the thing about Jesus was that he was accused of being a friend of sinners. And uh, that was a phrase that the religious people turned up. That they said, well, Jesus is a friend of sinners and he hangs out with uh, drunkards and adulterers and all of this kind of thing. Tax collectors, the lowest of the lowest, the low. And they accused him of being a a friend of sinners. And that was the word on the streets about Jesus. What's the word on the street about you? Are you uh, a friend of those who are uh, vulnerable and less privileged and struggling in life? Are you a friend of those who, whose uh, moral persuasion is different to yours? Are you a friend of those kind of people? Because that's the sort of people that Jesus was a friend with. And they called him a friend of sinners because it was true. He was their friend. Are you and I friends of people like that? He was a friend of sinners. The thing about it was, he didn't call them sinners. That was what the religious people called them. He called them friends. Sinners was the label that the religious people put on them. Sinners was the label that uh, the the society had put on them. But Jesus never called them that. He called called people who were sinners, they were the religious people. They were the ones that uh, he railed against. But for those who didn't know Christ yet, he called them friends. He became friends with them. He didn't label them by their mistakes or their past or their failings. And neither should we. And so we don't need to be friends of sinners, we just need to be a friend. We just need to know how to be a good friend. And that doesn't mean to say that everybody in our world will be our best friend, but there are certain characteristics that a good friend will do. A good friend will be loyal and and look past the shortcomings and, and, and tell the good things about life. And if we don't tell people about, the, the, about h- how good God is and how powerful it is to walk with Jesus, if we just keep God a secret, then that's the most unfriendly thing that we can do if we're enjoying that experience and not communicating it to others in our world. So God is not a secret to be kept. And so uh, Jesus uh, ref- uh, kept the friend um, kind of definition, that was his deepest earthly connection that he could have with people. People move from um, followers to disciples to friends. And so it be, the power in that is huge. And that was his greatest expression of earthly love to people, that, that he would call them friends, just as he's called you and I friends. And so <clears throat> I think we can raise our concept of friendship to Jesus' level rather than reduce it to Facebook level. <clears throat> we have a great inspiration. God is not a secret to be kept. And so, you know, God is a, a friendship to be enjoyed. And uh, we should be the same as Jesus was. In 1 Thessalonians four eleven and 12, it says, And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. You know, the the whole friends of sinners thing is about winning respect, earning the right to be heard. When I got saved, it was through a parachurch organization called Young Life, which uh, um, originated in the States and then came to uh, Australia. But one of their key things was what they called friendship evangelism, earning the right to be heard. And so that, you know, it's it's all about that and not about the, the soapbox or the pulpit or anything else. It's earning that right to be heard. And uh, that's what that scripture, you know, when we win the respect of outsiders there'll come a point when they ask us, so what is it about you that's different? And then we can tell our story. And so our daily life is a witness and we're being watched. People are watching how we react in situations and how we handle pressure, how we respond to injustice, how we interact with the political and social debate that's going on around us, how we engage with the vulnerable in our world. People are watching how we do all of that. And that's that's true Christianity at that level, working that stuff out. And so we need to think those things through. I think sometimes we're almost ashamed to be Christians because we feel that, you know, the, the labeling that has come our way over time has uh, uh, sapped our sense of, of identity and worth and value in that. And yet that's what we're all about. And our, our, our actions should be speaking way louder than our words should ever need to speak. 1 Timothy 1, 1.5 says this, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with the love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. faith. If, that is, if, if we are characterized by this kind of thing, then we're going to be influencing people for the gospel. That we are, we are actually going to be making a difference. Uh, a love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. A pure heart. It's not motivated by anything other than the love of Christ, of introducing people to the best friendship that they could ever have. A genuine faith means that whatever the situation or circumstance we find ourselves in, we actually still live and respond to that Christ-like thing that is in us. And so it's very, very powerful. And a clear conscience, well, our conscience is clear because um, we've been washed clean. We have a personal relationship with Jesus. He paid the price for our sin. A clear conscience doesn't mean that we're not... Uh, sin f- less in some ways, but it means we're not motivated by sin. We're not motivated by opportunistic, uh, self-serving attitudes and that kind of thing. But it, but we're just there's a clear conscience because there's no condemnation now. Christ has paid the price. The thing about it is, it's not for Jesus. It was not a popularity contest, and for you and I, it's not a popularity contest. We don't need to be popular to be effective as Christians. In the workplace, we don't need to be popular to be effective with our faith. And so we, we, um, you know, Jesus, his popularity was so high that they crucified him in the most public and embarrassing way. And so for you and I, our faith may cause us to come under um, ridicule at time and pay a price, but it doesn't change the truth and the reality of what we are communicating and what we are living and experiencing. So with the friendship that we have with Jesus, it should should be told should be talked about and should be encouraged for others. So Mark 12, 14 says this, And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. You know, there's there's a resolve in you and I as Christians that because uh, God is not a secret to be kept, Uh, because he's a a friendship to be enjoyed, that we actually are not motivated by the, the applause of the crowd, but we're actually motivated and inspired by walking with God. And so we're not opinion driven we're not responsive to opinions or or those sorts of things appearances and that kind of thing if we're manage- if it's all about appearance management for us then uh, we're probably missing the point we need to be true to our faith and to our cause and so um and just as jesus didn't let the crowds uh dictate uh his message neither should you or i uh, <clears throat> in a sense, there's a holy disregard for what people are thinking because we want to tell them a secret. We want to let them in on the secret. So Jesus is uh, not a secret to be kept. He's um, a story to be told, a friendship to be experienced. And he's also uh, a light that brings out the God colors in the world around us. And so for you and I to contextualize our faith properly, we actually need to know how to be that light and to bring the color out in the world around us, as that scripture in Matthew uh, 5 talks about. Just think about the, the impact that your faith brings God's color to the world. So you actually get to see things in a, uh, a different light. You see things uh, situations and circumstances in a different light. You're not, it's not all about self. It's, it's about soul. It's about what God is doing in people. And you have a perspective. So you bring the God light out in people, the God color in people. And so that becomes an incredibly powerful thing. Uh, and so we need to contextualize our faith properly. I want to just spend a couple of moments thinking about what, what is your theology of work? So if, if God is not a secret to be kept, so I'm, my assumption here is that most of us are either in the workplace or in uh, the student uh, arena. So what, what is your theology of work? Because you're, and the reason that is important is because it will shape the way you interact to the people in your world around you. And, uh, and I'll get to that in a minute. But we actually, because you probably haven't thought about, oh, do I have a theology of work? And maybe you do and maybe you don't. But maybe I'm suggesting today that you should think about what that is, and I'm going to help you how in a few moments. Do you have a theology of marriage? What, what is, is that shaped by society, or what is it shaped by? Do you have a theology of sex and sexuality? What's that shaped by? We need to have reasons why we think the way that we think and interact in the way that we do. And so a theology of work is an interesting thought. Because if we think that we go to work to earn money, maybe we're missing the point. Because I would suggest to you, and the scripture would support the fact, that our work is just an expression of what God is doing in and through us and the grace that he's put upon our lives to live and use the gifts that he's put upon us. And so in order to actually do that well, we need to contextualize our faith properly. So you could well be the only Christian in your workplace. You could well be the only Christian that people that you are working with on a day-to-day basis have ever interacted with. You could well be a, a very bright light in a dark place. You could well be the one person that God wants to bring the God colors through into that situation. And, and so, and I you know, obviously the context for Canberra is that uh, many of many of us are working in the public service here, or contracted to the public service, however that works, you know, and and so you know, that has, that's fraught with challenges because you've got to be so politically correct and there's subtle uh, messages coming at you through the system and all that kind of thing. So all the more, what an incredible opportunity that you have to bring the God color into that world and to dismantle people's perceptions of what they think Christians are. And so that's been entrusted with you. So if you have a theology of work that says, well, I'm just going to turn up, get my paycheck and go home every day, then I, th- I would say that you are selling yourself and God short because it's actually way more than that. Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing that one lives to do. So work is an expression of what you're gifted for, of the opportunities that have come your way, the doors that have opened, Work is an expression of God's leading and calling on your life. And so if we're talking about pursuing our calling, you know, if we think that all that's talking about is vocational ministry, we've completely missed the point. And I want to, because I want to suggest to you that today, that your calling uh, is your workplace, wherever you are and whatever that is. So, and, and... because of that, God is not a secret to be kept in that place. You are actually not just working a job, you are uh, responding to a calling. And so there is a, a school of thought, and uh, I'm not a theologian, but uh, around what, what is called dominion theology, which would suggest that... Uh, uh, the. In order for God to come, we've got to Christianize the government. We've got to Christianize the the education system. We've got to, from a top-down approach, uh, exercise dominion over society. But I would suggest that there's a different way, that you and I are called to be God's light into dark places, and that in actual fact, we can be way more subversive by working from the ground up and that as more and more Christians, more and more faith people rub shoulders with more and more people in the workplace, influencing people not to change the system, but to actually win people's hearts and, and tell them about the greatest secret there is in life, that becomes a far more uh, personal thing to do. And, and it's not about power and control. It's about relationship as you come alongside people. And so, uh, so your work, as I said, Not primarily uh, a thing that one does to live, but actually the thing that one lives to do. So that's a a, a really big thing. So that means if if you're living to do what God's called you to do, and he has happened to call you into the public service, for instance, that's an awesome thing. So let's do that to the best of our ability. It should be the full expression of the workers' uh, faculties, the thing in which they find spiritual, mental and bodily satisfaction Uh, and in the medium in which uh, they have offered themselves to God. So each and every one of us are uniquely gifted. And so God's gift has enabled you to actually work the job that you were in, and you're in that job to make a difference, to make a difference uh, in response to your calling. So we're not working to simply earn money or to just be happy. We're actually working to fulfill the calling of God on our lives. God created humans to use their unique gifts in fruitful labor for others. uh, And they won't be happy if they can't work. So that's why there's a dissatisfaction if we're not working. There's a, 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 a dissatisfaction in that because we're actually designed to work. And work isn't a punishment. It's part of God's plan to reach the world. And so that becomes a very powerful thing. Uh, even impressive, well-playing jobs won't satisfy if they fail to allow the full expression of the faculties of the worker. But confusion about the right career isn't the only reason so many people hate their job. If you hate your job, it's not because you're in the wrong career. Maybe you've lost sight of the sense of the call on your life. You're using, maybe you're not using your gifts in the way that God wants you to. Or maybe if you shifted your perspective, you might find that you enjoyed your job a whole lot more. And so it it changes that. So when we uh, work only to make money, we come to to resent the terms of the bargain, in part because money was never intended to be the primary reward for our labor. Money isn't the primary reward for our labor. There's something deeper, more intrinsic in it than that. So why do we work? Is it purely for economic transaction or is there something deeper? Work is not simply a means to an income. It is about stewardship, productivity, fruitfulness, relationships for the good of the world and the glory of God. Well, that's probably going to turn your theology of work on its head. Because if all you're doing is turning up for the paycheck and you're missing out on the fact that you are representing God in the the community, in the workplace... You know, it, it, I, I, I think this is why our vision to change Canberra is so broad and, but, uh, but so personal. It's like, how do we change Canberra? Oh, well, do we expect the government to all of a sudden become, all, all become Christians and then they'll pass moral laws and we'll all live happily ever after? I don't think so. I think the way that we'll change Canberra is one worker at a time understanding that they are called by job into their workplace, into the public sector, into the entrepreneurial world that you're in or wherever it is. When we understand that that is our calling, that we've been gifted to that, that's incredible, incredible. And I know that we've got some high achieving people. Workers in our congregation, which is inspiring. I love it. There are people in our congregation that you have been gifted uh, to earn and make money, not for your own sake, but to advance the kingdom of God. And are you using that influence to its greatest effect? You know, there's people in our congregation who are part of executive level leadership of global global organisations of 2,000 employees. You know, there are people high up in the public service in our congregation. These are significant, significant opportunities, not to change the system, but to rub shoulders with people that nobody else is going to be able to talk to. And you're in that position. That's what your calling is. God is not a secret to be kept. He's, he's, He's shouting loud and clear through the color of your life, if you'll let him. And it doesn't have to be weird in the way that we do it. It comes out of our of the, of our work ethic, and so it's so so powerful. Why do we work? Is it uh, so? What, what did I get up to? The third thought. The third thought. You know, you are made in the image of God. You are an image bearer. Why do we work? So that the image of God can get into the workplace so that the image of God can get into the public service, into the corporations and the educational arenas. You are an image bearer where you work. So you're showing off God's excellence, his creativity and his glory. How awesome is that? If you have that perspective when you go to work, it's kind of like, okay, God, how are you going to show your glory today through me? But you're an image bearer. That's what you're designed to do. And, it's not, and I don't want you getting all puffed up and arrogant and proud about this kind of thing, but it's like, man, this is an awesome opportunity. It's an awesome responsibility. You're not just, you know, working for the man. You're not just doing the nine to five. You're actually an image bearer of the goodness of God, showing off his excellence, his creativity. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at creating spreadsheets, but that is a creative activity, not just music or art or that kind of thing there is creativity in any and everything that we do and it's come to us by the grace of God we are graced for it and so that becomes very very powerful here's some quotes around work and faith for you to think about work is a crucible that God uses to refine us who's ever found themselves in the crucible of work life God refining you in that. It's not an accident. Dallas Willard said this. He makes this statement. Our jobs are our primary place of discipleship. What the? What? You mean not even Matt's Connect Group is a primary place of discipleship? But your workplace is a primary place of discipleship? Have a think about that. Because you're going to get frustrated, you're going to get angry, you're going to get annoyed at people. So there's a discipleship process in all of that. And that's God's primary uh, place of discipleship, is our workplace. Dallas Willard, um, uh, he was a Christian philosopher um, who, for I think it was about 50 years, he was a lecturer at uh, UCLA. And so... He was in a non-Christian context, but is writing this kind of thing. Our jobs are our primary place of discipleship. What, what What discipleship lesson is God teaching you in your workplace at the moment? Are you seeing it as that? Or are you just seeing it as an annoying co-worker who you just want to punch their lights out? Was that just me? Not in my current workplace. I just want to set that straight Quickly, um, just some other quotes around our work. The greatest challenge we face with our work is not what happens to us in the workplace, but what happens within us at soul level. The greatest opportunity our vocation affords us is not the reward it brings or the important contribution we can make to the common good, as significant as these are, but rather the glorious conduit it becomes in confirming us to greater Christ-likeness. God is using your workplace to develop your Christ-likeness. Here's one from John Stott. God wants his people to become like Christ, for Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. Consider your workplace challenges, not as obstacles in your life, but as opportunities to grow in greater Christ-likeness. We may be in places that no other Christian has gone before. To boldly go where no Christian has gone before. To explore the far universe, corners of the universe. Uh, a la Star Trek, maybe. I don't know. 1 Timothy 3.7. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so they will not fall into disgrace, into the devil's trap. You are uh, having a good reputation with people outside of the body of Christ. And, you know, the workplace is where that happens. And so, you know, you might think, well, you've got to think about how you engage ethically and morally with people and what your value position is and where what it's based on and all of that kind of thing Jeremiah 15 verse 19 the second part of that verse you are, you must influence them do not let them influence you how cool is that you must influence them and so and and influence isn't about shouting louder or anything like that it's it's the quietness and the just the the, the steadfastness of, of how you go about Living out your faith, how you go about the truth-telling and, and all of that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's putting the gospel to work. Romans 1.16, uh, we're pretty familiar with this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You and I uh, are carrying the power power of God, so we're not ashamed of the gospel. And, uh, and But sometimes... We might be ashamed of the way people and Christians carry on, but let's not be one of those kind of Christians. Let, be, let us be those kind of Christians that are going to be salt and light, bringing grace and truth into the workplaces that God has placed us. When these truths touch our lives and uh, uh, put to work in our relationships, we'll be walking in the steps of our Savior. When this world-shaking wonder orders the way we are, uh, that we are sins saved by grace, think about those around us. Sinners in need of grace. That's who you're rubbing shoulders with. We're sinners saved by grace. They're sinners in need of grace. And so we actually have the privilege and the opportunity to identify how God may be working grace into their lives. And we need to be good friends. Be good friends with them. Then they'll be good... uh, You know, we'll be called friends of sinners as well. That We'll be the sort of people who are rubbing shoulders. We're not negatively influenced, but we're actually positively impacting those around us. Let's just close our eyes and just spend a moment or two reflecting. Obviously, there is a a myriad of diverse workplaces represented here. But each and every one of you they have being called into your workplace. Now, if you're feeling unsettled or you feel like you're in the wrong place, then do something about it. But don't just just, um, acquiesce to passivity. Understand that you are created in the image of God. You have been graced by God with skills and and, um, giftings to be used and to reach people. He will give you the right words at the right time if you're in the right place. Father, right now, I just thank you, Lord, for the diversity of people in the life of our church and the workplaces that are represented here. I thank you for the public servants and the entrepreneurs. I thank you for the the corporate leaders and the the educational uh, facilitators in the life of our church. I thank you, God, that for each and every one of us, we would understand that the calling that is upon us, God, that you are not a secret to be kept, but you are a story to be told and a friendship to be enjoyed. And I thank you, God, that you would help us bring the God colors out in the world in which you have placed us, Father. Lord, forgive us where we've just been uh, uh, transactional in the way we've engaged, that we just go for work, go to work for for the paycheck. Lord, help us see the God opportunities in our workplace. Help us have a healthy theology of work, Lord, that, that we are using that for your goodness and for your glory. And I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Right now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, I would love to take this opportunity to invite you into the greatest relationship I'm about to let you in on a secret. And that's the eternal life through Jesus Christ. He died, paid the price for our sin so that we don't have to pay the price for sin. We don't have to live with the shame and the torment and the regret because he took it all for us. We can walk in the grace and the forgiveness of that. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, I would love this morning to introduce you to him. If you could just raise your hand so that I could see it, I would love to pray for you. If that's you here today, just raise your hand if you want to make that decision to become a Christian this morning, to have a purpose in your life, to have a purpose in your work, in your job, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your friendships this morning, if that's you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, right now, I just pray you would seal upon the heart of each and every one of us, God, that sense of calling, God, that we would set aside that it's vocational ministry, but we, it would become a revelation that we are in the job that you have called us and placed us in for a reason. And I thank you, God, that we can bring the God light into our workplaces. I thank you, God, that you are not a secret to be kept, but you are a story to be told and a friendship to be enjoyed. I thank you, God, that that would be our experience as a body of believers, as we go out to see Canberra changed by every interaction in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a clap.
1: Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.